Nope. Just joking. <laughs> I'll go. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> We're off to a good start already. Yeah. Fantastic. This is a podcast. It is called Recovered AF. My name is Aaron. I am a co-host. And the son of a bitch across from me, it's <laughs> <laughs> a real fucking wanker, is our other co-host. Aaron is on one today. That's the disclaimer. So he's <laughs> nice and feisty. Uh, no, but my name's Kyle. And uh, like Aaron said, this is Recovered AF. Uh, on this podcast, we talk about all sorts of recovery things in life. Um, sometimes we talk about 12-step stuff, and uh, we just like to make a disclaimer that even though Aaron and I and our guests most of the time have had experience with the 12 steps, we are no way affili- affiliated with those 12-step organizations. We're not spokespeople or representatives for them. Those those groups don't have spokespeople or representatives if they did, they would not pick Aaron or myself to to represent them. So, Absolutely not. Yeah, we, uh, we're just sharing our own experience. Uh, sometimes that overlaps with 12-step stuff. That overlaps with other stuff that we've done in our lives. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what this podcast is. And we have a guest today that I'm going to let Aaron introduce. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. I'm super glad to have a guest today. Sometimes it's just it's a little bit easier asking other people questions than trying to talk for an hour, even though I do enjoy talking about myself as much as I do. So anyway, um, I will introduce our guest today, Courtney. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. We're sitting in Courtney's uh, sunroom on the back of her house, and it's absolutely beautiful back here. Like, this is definitely the most pleasant podcasting area oh, we've had. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. We, we, I, I live with my parents, as you guys know, and um, we love it. Yeah. We love hanging out out here. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I was like we were saying before, I tell myself if I had a place like this, I'd probably be more spiritual, but uh, that's not really, doesn't match my experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I echo that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do a lot of meditation out here if you had one. Yeah, th- I would actually That's what do. You, yeah. Uh, yeah, this would be a great place to do a nightly review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're something else. <laughs> so the guy who hasn't done a nightly review in six months. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, well, usually where we kick these things off is uh, just about with every guest, at some point you were introduced to the 12-step world. Yeah. And that's usually where we kind of dive in. Mm-hmm. And then wherever the conversation goes from there is where it goes. But mm-hmm. where was that point? for you? Well, um, so in my immediate family, I am the only alcoholic. Um, I I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Um, and then of course my parents and, um, I I am the only alcoholic Mm -hmm. in the family. Um, we, I I would venture a guess on both sides of my family. We have, we have a lot of unofficial alcoholic, um, untreated alcoholism, Mm -hmm. perhaps I should say. But, um, Unlike some people in recovery, I have zero 12-step lineage. Okay. So I, I knew nothing about Alcoholics Anonymous or the 12 steps. Um, so in 2003, uh, to, to kind of try to nutshell this as much as possible, um, it was pretty obvious to my parents that something was very wrong mm-hmm. with the way I drank. Um and, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous was kind of like the, the, the entity floating around on the periphery. It's like, it's like, uh, oh, but she doesn't need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, she's got this, mm-hmm. she's got this. And I thought that too. It's like, it's like, you know, only, only drunks go to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it was always like, I think for my parents who I was living with at the time and myself, it was always like, oh, I'll handle this. Like, I'll figure it out. Like, there's no way I'm going to need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I knew it existed. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the 12 steps were a part of it. So um, it was a June day in 2003, and I was couch surfing with a, a good friend of mine in Prescott, Arizona. She'd gone, It was a Sunday morning, and she'd gone to church. And while she was at church, I had drank heavily and blacked out. Um did quite a bit of damage in her house. Mm -hmm. Um, and she came home from church to find me knocked out cold on the cement floor in the basement. I'd evidently fallen down the stairs. Um, I had a concussion and she was looking for me because this was back 
in the days of landlines and my mom had called and she found me, you know, knocked out cold downstairs. And, uh, as soon as she roused me, I I was screaming obscenities and cussing and senseless things. And my mom overheard this (laughs) on the other end. And, and it was very frightening for her. And, um, at that point, my mom, my mom surrendered. She said, please just prompt. Why don't you try an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting? Why don't you go to that tomorrow? Um, so I, I agreed and I said I would. And so I found one online in Prescott. Well, I had no idea. I, I swear to you, you could hook me up to a lie detector and this was true. I had no idea that the point of AA was to be sober. <laughs> so I thought, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I went to this meeting quite hammered and, um, I, I sat in the parking lot. It was right next to a liquor store. And I thought, oh, perfect. Um, you know, I'll just get, I'll get a fifth of Jim Beam and I'll work on that before I go into this meeting. Um, but they wouldn't take a check. So I, I went into the meeting and it's like, I'm very drunk. And um, people, they start announcing, they, okay, so they start saying 30 days. And a couple of people stand up and get these little chips. And then 60 days and a couple more people. And... I'm like, well, it was like somebody had dumped a bucket of cold ice down my back when I realized these people had gone that long without a drink. And I'm like, oh, you poor bastards. (laughs) Like, it sucks to be you. Um, But they seemed happy. And uh, I just knew nothing about it. But for me, I know this is not everybody's experience uh, in AA and that's okay. For me, it was love at first sight. I felt a vibe in that room, even as like messed up as I was, I felt something in that room that I'd never experienced in my life. And these women, like about half a dozen of them pounced on me after the meeting and they wrote their names on a, on a yellow legal pad. And I drunk dialed every single one of those (laughs) names the next day. And, um, you know, I, I loved it. I loved it from the start. Um, I didn't want to stop drinking. And I certainly wasn't going to have anything to do with whatever those 12 steps on the wall were. <laughs> um, but it was a very powerful experience for me. So I guess to, to answer your question, no idea right. until I walked in that door. Yeah, yeah. that's very similar to my experience, mm-hmm. too. I have a, a biological father who's still drinking, mm-hmm. I think, and then... But no one around my immediate immediate family was an alcoholic besides me. Mm, so yeah. my I went to rehab, and I didn't even know it was a twelve step. I thought it was just like thirty days of detoxing and like yeah. hanging out in the mountains and stuff. And <laughs> like, oh, this will be nicer than what I've been doing. So did you go to Harmony? I did. Yeah, yes, it's beautiful. It is. Yeah. yeah, and then I got there, and they're like giving me literature and oh, all, of the, and I'm yeah. like, what is this? But I had a right. similar experience where mm-hmm. from that moment on, I was like. Oh yeah, this is this is I think where I'm supposed to be kind yeah. of and like I'm I'm not really wanting to get down with everything they're talking mm-hmm. about and their god and all this but like there was something there for sure. Yeah. So I can, I can relate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was um so then from there you fell in love with, you know, the fellowship and then yeah. what what happened from there till you got to the point where you were wanting to stop drinking did you sort of hang around the fellowship for a while or did you just okay that was interesting and then go back out or was it a mm-hmm. while before you ended up getting sober like what was the progression there in between yeah 2003 and then whenever you were yeah whatever happened well okay so like i said i I went to my first aa meeting in prescott arizona in june 2003 and my official official clean and sober date is may 9th 2017 Mm -hmm. you know so if you do the math i've had a pretty rocky road right um but i was never far from aa i i mean i just loved it so much i loved the people so much um I got deeply involved right away. I got, so in 2003, I got a sponsor and she was very service oriented. She was young. I was 28. She was maybe 21 or 22. So she got me involved in all these, this kind of like young people's service. And, and, um, I, I really, I really dived in, but I, I think one of the biggest things I continue at time, this crops up even now about 
I don't know, like clockwork, like about once every six months, but the old, uh, intellectual resistance to, mm. to what the 12 steps say and what the book says. And, and, um, I was just, I had a lot of intellectual resistance. Yeah. I wanted to be a part of everything and I wanted to be in it and close to it. But, um, I just, my brain was just out to get me. Yeah. So I, I would, for the first three years, I would drink and go to meetings and drink and go to meetings. And finally in, in, in 2006, I had my last drink. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, um, you know, uh, as I've told in my story before, started smoking pot on the sly at about seven years sober and did that in secret for mm-hmm. four and a half years. Um, and finally, you know, bit the bullet and changed my sobriety date. And, yeah. uh, I have been free of mind and mood altering chemicals since 2017. Wow. But, um, yeah, just always, always fighting things mm-hmm. with my intellect. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's just one thing I've struggled with as well, too, because, well, and for me, you know, there were, when I had gotten sober in 2012, there was um, just so much, uh, I was like angry agnostic type and Mm -hmm. um, the intellectual side of things. And I was pretty much along the lines of um, Bill's view towards religion, you Mm -hmm. know, in which... He cited that you know that it wasn't too closely followed by the followers or right. however it's worded in there, and that's how I looked at it. And I wasn't able to make the disconnect between some of the things and regarding religion versus having a god of one's own conception. And then right. once I got that straightened out, it became a little bit easier, mm-hmm. you know, and a, a little bit more open-minded and a little bit more open-minded. But to somebody that's intellectualized everything you Mm -hmm. know to look and see these things and 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 take them on as a whole as a large jump for somebody you know yeah yeah i was just gonna say i i i always um ever since i was a young 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 child like a toddler i always had this passion kind of the spiritual passion like on fire to seek god so it was i never had a problem with the existence of God, um, that I knew that that would not be too big of an obstacle for me when I saw the use of the word God in the 12 steps Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, it would take me many years to discover that I had, that I had very bad ideas Mm -hmm. about God, (laughs) which was causing me a lot of problems. But the, the, the fact that it was God oriented never really, Mm was not a huge issue mm-hmm. for me yeah. personally. So so what what transpired to tip you into going through the 12 steps and not kind of in and out or like, because mm-hmm. like for me, I was around AA mm-hmm. for, I don't know, four or five months and then had some serious consequences coming back from my last drinking and then i was like i'm doomed if i don't follow through on the work like those Mm -hmm. first four or five months i was i was just kind of hanging out with the fellowship and hoping that that would like rub off and that would be enough and then i realized that that was not the case Mm -hmm. did you have an experience that tipped you into like well i need to do the 12 steps and not just be here but actually go through the work did you have an experience that tipped you into that yeah that's a great question um I was so terrified of the steps. Yeah. Man, I read those and I was like, <laughs> everybody says, you know, just start with one. Right. Start on number one. But my 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 vision went straight to eight and nine. Yeah. And I'm like, I am if 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 one, two, three, four, five, six, seven leads me to eight and nine, I'm not doing one, two, right. three, four, five, six, seven. You know, I mean yeah. those those amends steps were so formidable for me. I mean, they were so terrifying. And then maybe, you know, to come down a, a, a rung on the terror ladder was four and five. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Right. Um, I think, okay. So when I had my last drink back in 2006, I, you know, it was May 21st, 2006. And, um, I'd been doing that thing for three years, drinking, not really doing the work, hanging around the fellowship, doing a lot of service, mm-hmm. you know, 
always doing service. I was even sponsoring people sometimes, which I found out is is occurs in AA. People sponsor people without having done the steps. Yeah. You know, I was I was a mea culpa. Right. You know, I did it, and um, so 2006 rolled around, and I drank again. I was in Portland, Oregon. I was in law school at the time, and um, I drank like I don't know, like six or seven bottles of cough syrup, and woke woke up one day, and and I, one of those moments that a lot of us have, where it's like, wow, I've really done it. Like I physically, I think I might die. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I went to the hospital, went to the emergency room in an ambulance and, um, they did whatever they had to do and sent me home. And I got home and I looked around my apartment and it's like, you know, there's piles of cat poop everywhere, empty pizza boxes, empty booze bottles, you know, empty mouthwash bottles, mm-hmm. you know, charcoal vomit stains from a feeble suicide attempt. And I just looked around and I'm like, man this ain't working. Like I, I time to try something different. Mm -hmm. So I came back to Tucson where my parents were living and I got a fabulous sponsor. Um, she's one of the couple experiences of sponsorship I've had that are really, were really transformative. And my, the other one's my current sponsor, but, um, I did them. I just did the, I did the best I could. I did whatever she told me. Mm And, um, I went as deep as I could at the time. Um, so I, I did go through the steps to the best of my ability, right. but, um, for some reason there was just, I just had a little more on my path when I started smoking pot mm-hmm. at seven years sober, you know? Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know if I kind of went around your question or if I answered no, it. Oh yeah. But, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. Now when you stopped smoking pot at mm-hmm. that point, what what transpired? Did you dive back into the work? Did you dive back into service? Did you just hmm. put it down for good? Or like, how, how does that happen? Cause, oh, gosh. Yeah. Wow. You so had, You had a pretty traumatic experience, though, that ended uh, everything, right? Oh, yeah. I It was May 9th. That's my, my new clean and sober date. Mm-hmm. May 9th, 2017. I was road tripping by myself through the south, southwest. Mm-hmm. I had made my first stop in Glenwood Springs. And uh, I thought, what better way to enjoy the hot springs than with some edibles? Um, So I went to the dispensary. Well, I didn't Google, like, how much of the edibles to eat Mm -hmm. until after I ate 10 times the recommended amount of the edibles. (laughs) So... (laughs) So... I, so anyways, I, I eat like half this big fat chocolate bar and, and, uh, I, I, I'm at a hotel about a mile and a half from the Springs and I start walking down and whoa, I mean, by the time I get to the hot Springs, I'm like, I'm in a world of shit. So I'm sitting in the hot Springs. It, it felt like I was in the hot Springs for like maybe 12 hours. I think it was probably about 15 minutes, but you know, I'm sitting in the hot Springs. I'm like, people are looking at me. People are looking at me. And then I'm like, I can't remember which locker I had. And I'm really, really panicking. Like this is really bad. So I had pinned my key to my swimsuit. So I managed to find my locker, get dressed And I'm like, I don't even, I can't remember the name of my hotel. And uh, so I'm walking back up Main Street in Glenwood Springs, clutching my towel and uh, trying to decode the street signs (laughs) because I don't know if it's okay to cross the street or not. (laughs) Because what does that sign, what does that flashing sign mean? I don't know. So um, I'm standing there just huddled on street corners. Finally, I was going up this hill and an Uber driver pulled over. He said, honey, are you okay? And, uh, I said, oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And he asked my name. So I pulled out my driver's license cause I'm like, that'll, that'll have my name on it. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so terrible. <laughs> That's one way to find out what your name is, you know? And I told him and I, I assured him that I was just fine. I, I got this. And I, I somehow found my way back to my hotel and, um, Spent the next two or three hours peeking out the peephole and peeking out the blinds. Is the SWAT team coming for me? They saw me. They saw me stoned on the street. They're going to come get me. They're going to throw me in a psych ward. And it was, if you guys have ever experienced that kind of like a bad trip or paranoia or anything, it was just awful. So I finally slept it off and I woke up the next day and I found with my relationship with my higher power, um, 
it often actually, this sounds weird, but just literally speaks to me mm-hmm. in sentences and words. And this voice asked me the next morning, Courtney, is this what sobriety looks like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, but you know, it would take me an, another nine months to, to come clean and change my date. Wow. Yeah. I was like, I was just going to sweep it under the rug. I'll never do it again. Right. But nobody ever needs to know about this, yeah. you know? Hmm. Um, Wow, that yeah, that was really traumatic. Oh my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, that sounds terrible. We were talking on the way down here for some reason. We started talking about uh, weed, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, it was not the it was not the drug for me. I mean, there yeah. was a reason why I was able to take it or leave it because right. uh, it in the beginning it was fun, but mm-hmm. for me, I just uh, my mind overworks anyway, and and marijuana does not chill that mind out. It kicks it into hyperdrive and I just sit and I overthink and I can't sleep and I just get weird Mm -hmm. and it's not a fun thing for me. So I just your story sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was starting to sweat. (laughs) Oh my God. That sounds so bad. Uh, I just listened to on Rogan's podcast, he was talking about um when you eat marijuana, it's actually uh, your body ingests it different mm-hmm. and the breakdown is different anyway. So yeah. you're prone to experiencing trip like effects. Like and a just, psychedelic experience. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so listen, you talk about that. I'm just like, I didn't like any of that stuff. I didn't like <laughs> yeah. losing yeah. control of my mind. So well, that yeah. sounds terrible. So you had said that your current sponsor, you've had a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. What is what is that like today? What is your guys' relationship like? I mean, like, do you guys... Do you go through the work mm-hmm. regularly? Do you sponsor other women? Like what, how does that kind of participate in your life? Well, it was so interesting. I, uh, I had been with the same sponsor for five years, um, I, that I was with at the time of that pot experience in Glenwood Springs. And, um, I, I don't know some, it's something in me just, Oh God, I think the Greeks or the Romans have a word for this, but it's like your own kind of genius that's 10 feet ahead of you Mm -hmm. that knows what you need. I think they call it the daemon. It's like the genius of your own spirit that you can trust even in a dark place. But it was like, I just followed that impulse that said, you need a new sponsor. And this is not in any way, this is not in any way to disparage my former sponsor because what I got from my former sponsor was um, invaluable. Mm-hmm. I learned the book backwards and forwards, the history of AA, um, invaluable. And I'm deeply grateful for that. But something in me just knew I, I had to, to shake things up a mm-hmm. little bit. So um, a, a good friend of mine said, said, why don't you ask so-and-so? And I said, oh, Oh, she's so great. She's probably got so many sponsees. And and my friend called me out. She said, you know, you're kind of doing that codependent thing where you're deciding for her yeah. whether she can take you or not. She's like, just give her a call. So I did. And um, she did say no initially because mm-hmm. she had a lot of sponsees. So she said, but I'll temporarily sponsor you and here's what I want you to do. And she was going to have me go home and write this uh, four-step inventory. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And I went home and did it, and uh, there was never any official. It was just like <laughs> she just was sponsoring me right. from then on. And um, gosh, you know, yeah, we did the work. Yeah, I mean, we we went into the steps, and and one thing she really really turned me on to was a uh, step six and seven. Mm-hmm. Like those are rich. Yeah, who knew? Right. You know what I mean? It's like. Wow. I mean, she really got me deeply. As I was sharing my story the other day and this weird thing came into my head, but this visual like, so if you think of the steps like a map, okay, so like step one is the West Coast and step 12 is the East Coast. Well, right in the heartland, in the breadbasket, you've got six and seven. (laughs) It's like this, this rich heart of these steps where you just become willing to have a new experience. Yeah to be a new creation, like the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd never had any exploration of those before this current sponsor. Hmm. Now, when you went through those, did you... I'm asking a lot of questions, sorry. but I don't care. When you went through those, did you do something... Because like in in the big book, 
It's like two paragraphs. Yeah, right. Did you right. do more than than that? Did you like oh, identify stuff? Because I've heard yeah. varying experiences of yeah. six and seven, and I've only done it out of the book where it's like, okay, I'm willing, and now I'm going to say this prayer and, and, right. and with the intention of it. Yeah, so with my current sponsor, so when I tried to do the steps um, with my other fabulous sponsor back in, in 2006, I just... I couldn't connect the dots between the fourth column and the fourth step. Like, where was I to blame? Mm-hmm. What What's cropping up here? The 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 resentment, the fear, the dishonesty, the self centeredness. Um, I could not connect that to the character defect. It's like so. W- when I went through the steps back in two thousand six, it was like just throwing a dart at what. So it, I just like made a list of what I thought my bad qualities were. Right. Well. That helped a little bit, but if you if you're not hopping that synapse between what's showing up in your behavior on your fourth step and what's the defect manifesting there, mm-hmm. so this time through the steps with with my current sponsor, it's like when I was looking at my fourth step inventory, it's like oh, like I could see the behavior, and it's like there's the pride, yeah. There's the fear. So it's like what was different this time then is going into six and seven when you're saying that prayer for removal of that stuff that's choking you. It's like you're saying it with with desperation and right. sincerity in your heart. Yeah. It's like you know what's killing you. <laughs> you're not just asking God to remove some bad qualities that you think you might have. Right. It's like, God, help me. Because my pride is bringing me to my knees. Yeah. So if that makes sense, that was very different for me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I have a similar... Where not only do I... I understand that the, the behavior is... I use the word driven a lot. Like yeah. I'm being driven by that. Yes. And I have no ability to not be driven by mm-hmm. that. That's why I need six and seven is because yeah. I like fear runs my life. Yeah. So yeah. I got no shot unless God intervenes. Right. You know, kind of a right. thing. Yeah. You sound like my sponsor right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's been my experience yeah. though. It's like those things, they run shop over me just like alcohol did. Like yep. they're, they've got the grips in me just like alcohol did. So yeah. having, knowing that now I realize how doomed I am with, yeah. On my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, did you have? Because I I've been through the work with multiple people as well, and yeah, um, had different experiences with different people, and some of them profound, and some of them. The last time I, that I had went through the work when I got back, because we have a pretty close um, sobriety date. Mine's in March, so oh, yeah, just sure. a couple months before you. Right. Um, um, but anyway, I was, I went, when I went through the work again, I had some new experiences and I was like through one through five and I was like, they were just so powerful and so incredible. And then I was like, I just can't wait to see what six and seven is going to be like. And then I did six and seven and nothing happened. <laughs> and Right. But so I had like all of these different, different um, experiences in different places and what I thought might happen wasn't what happened. And mm-hmm. I was just wondering as you went through the rest of the work, if you had any more of those or any of when you went through, you know, the back half into eight, nine and yeah. even 10, 11. And did you have, you know, experiences with that as well that were new? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was really beautiful and profound about my experience of six and seven this time is that I lost my fear of eight and nine Mm. because it's like, it really makes sense when you think about it, because it's like, you know, if you're on six and seven and you haven't had that pride removed, of course you're going to be terrified to make yourself vulnerable to go out and make those amends in eight and nine. But, but the incredibly miraculous thing that happened with six and seven was that I lost my fear of moving forward because it's like, when you give that stuff up, um, when you surrender it, it's like it, it instilled a willingness in me in step eight that I ne- never had. For the first time, I experienced the willingness mm-hmm. in step eight for the first time ever. Wow. I thought, wow, now I understand why eight and nine are a gift. They're not a taskmaster, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, they're a gift. Right. Um, 
And then of course, you know, now I do a nightly review every night that I email to my sponsor and, um, a a 10th step when necessary, which Mm -hmm. I will be doing some written 10th step work (laughs) later today (laughs) on some stuff that I'm a little upset about. And, um, and, and then of course 11 and 12 and, and I, I do have one sponsee to answer answer your other question. Yes. That's what I was going to re-ask again is just the value of, um, were you sponsoring people before, like while you were smoking? And yes. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. how does, um, I would think that would be really hard to like just own that. Yeah, it you was. Know, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just was. to own it. Yeah. I, I, um, at the time when I came back to Colorado from Lincoln, Nebraska, in May 2017, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I had done that road trip to inaugurate my return to Colorado. <laughs> um, I picked up two sponsees. One of them I still have. The other one's moved to Vegas, but we, we still keep in touch. And um, I was not being honest with either of them, obviously, so I made amends to both of right. them. Right. And that was hard. And But I remember the one who moved to Vegas, she was a brand spanking newcomer when I started sponsoring her and, and just desperate for help. And when I came clean with her, um, she was so sweet. She said, you know, Courtney, she said, you were what I needed mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. And um, I don't know, it just go, it's, things just kind of work out. They kind of shake out the way they're supposed to. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I would agree. When I heard you speak in July, um, you had talked about... Um, Getting some well in the inside the fellowship we'd call it outside outside help but right. since we're not you know affiliated we can just talk about oh, what it sure. is but but it was some sort of tra- trauma therapy right yeah, like, yeah and um when did when did you start when did you start that and how did that come about because like for me we we had my trauma therapist on the podcast one oh, episode cool. yeah it was yeah, yeah that's great. And, and 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 she picked up a new client oh <laughs> yeah. good for you yeah. yeah it was pretty funny afterwards yeah. she gave me her card it's like you need oh. to call me she was like you're really fucked up man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, i was asking all these questions and then at the yeah. end she was like i think you need to call me and so <laughs> i ended up calling her and i've been going to her as well good so, for you yeah. that's scary oh it's very that scary takes a lot of courage yeah. yeah well and beforehand i don't mean to interrupt yeah. your question beforehand though i had this idea of like the 12 steps will fix anything oh yeah you know just because because it worked on so much of of my problem you know and um so it was really terrifying to to try to explore something outside of that again but well plus i i'm making an assumption here based on talks i've had with aaron but if you're doing emdr yes yeah so emdr i did three about three and a half years of emdr and um you're extraordinarily vulnerable. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And you really have to just trust that your brain knows what it's doing. Yeah. And, yes. and it's a very um, vulnerable yeah. position to be it in. It is. Yeah. It just connects, for me, just connects my life. And yeah. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but like the more I do it, the more I can... Um, my life makes sense. Yeah. How I've lived my life, how I've reacted to the world, everything right. makes a lot more sense. The more I do it, that comes with a lot of fear too because then yeah. it's like, what happens now? Yeah. You know? The unknown. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. The hole in the donut. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I, don't know, I don't think I need to make that a segue anymore, but so you started like... How did that come about? Like, what what convinced you? Maybe I do. I just had like three people all in 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 a row tell me that I, they thought I could benefit from some trauma therapy mm-hmm. and some EMDR, and they had some, you know, practical experience of their own with it. And so I was like, you know, yeah. all, all right, I'll try this. I was just wondering, like, how you got down yeah. looking at that side of things. Oof. Well, uh, I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, in uh, March two thousand fifteen. And very quickly got mixed up in a very oh, terribly destructive relationship with one of us mm-hmm. who who was sober about the first six months that we were together. And it, it was amazing. And I, I loved him so I still love him. I, I loved him so much and wanted to get married. And uh, he it sounded like he did too. But you, when we pick up again, yeah. God, you know, when we're good, when we're sober... We're so good. Yeah. And when we're drinking, we're so very bad. And um, the book talks about that, the Jekyll and Hyde effect. Mm-hmm. And, and when he started drinking again, um, 
it just, you know what a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I mean, it was just a nightmare. So for the net, for my remaining time in Lincoln for another couple of years or so, I was in the chaos of that relationship with an active alcoholic. And, um, it was just extraordinarily traumatic. And, um, by the end, by the end, by my last month in Lincoln, I was going so nuts from the chaos that I was living that I believed that God was telling me to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. I I believed, I sincerely believed that God's will for me was to kill myself. I, 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 I would sit in my apartment. I would go, well, some people, that's what they do. Maybe I'm one of those people. And, um, I shared this with my mom who somehow convinced me to go to a hospital. So I did. And I spent some time in a, in a psych ward and, um, it became evident that I needed to come back to Colorado. I could not, I could not stay in, in, in the scene of the trauma in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was important to come home to family. And when I got back to Colorado, um, oh yeah, it was so clear. I needed some type of trauma mm-hmm. therapy. And um, the former therapist who had done the EMDR with me had suggested neurofeedback. She's like, you know, I don't really do EMDR anymore um, because neurofeedback can get these great results and it's less invasive. Mm-hmm. She's like, you don't have to talk about the trauma. You don't have to... Ball like a baby. Cry. Yeah. yeah. Oh Even though God. I sometimes cry with neurofeedback, yeah. but it's very different. So she suggested this clinic in uh, Fort Collins and, um, very blessed to be on Medicaid, although that doesn't sound like a blessing, but Medicaid pays for everything because neurofeedback can be very expensive. And, um, so I've been doing neurofeedback for about 15 months now and it's been remarkable. Yeah. I mean, it's been a total game changer well, for you, me. You've yeah. actually seen the brain scans, like yeah. the difference in the brain scans, right? So, yeah, this was amazing. So the, before they start you on any type of neurofeedback protocol, they do a brain map. Um, so they'll have you, it takes about a half hour. They put all the goop on your head and the wires and whatnot. And um, they'll say, close your eyes, open your eyes, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll say, think of something moderately stressful and, um, think of something happy. And so they're able to get a picture of what's activated in your brain. So with my current neurofeedback clinician, we went over the results about 15 months ago. And, um, so when you look at your brain diagram, you've got these little bubbles that govern these areas of your brain and they, they range in color from yellow to green. So green is optimum functioning. It shows there's flexibility in the brain. Yellow is rigid. It's like, that's where your brain's traumatized. So most of my bubbles were some combination, like a, it almost looks like tie dye or batik. Mm -hmm. So most of them were like some combination of yellow and bluish blues in the middle. Um, some areas were a little green. Well, the bubbles she calls the 39 bubbles, which govern anxiety and stress response or being in like in fight or flight were like solid yellow, solid yellow. And, and she's like, you live in a state of flight or fright response Mm. all the time. And, um, in the rooms, of course, we, we just call that fear. You know, (laughs) I was just afraid all the time. So anyways, about a year later, I've, really dug into the steps with my sponsor. I'm doing talk therapy with a different gal, yoga, meditation, juice, you know, everything I can cause I'm desperate to get well. And, um, my neurofeedback clinician, this was uh, about six months ago in May. She says, you know, I've been a therapist for 20 years and she goes, I've very, very rarely seen anyone recover to the level that you've recovered. Wow. She's like, actually, I'd really like to do another brain map. So we did. And I was at my normal appointment with the wires on my head, watching my movie, because that's what they do with neurofeedback. And she stopped the movie and she said, we can go over the full results. She's like, but I got to show you something right now. And, oh my God, you guys, I'm going to (laughs) cry. But she shows me this diagram and those 39 bubbles are solid green. I'm like, I'm not afraid anymore. And, um... So she's like, I've got the chills. And we both started to cry a little and I had this diagram and I, 
went out to the car and I showed my mom and I cried some more. And then I took a picture of it and sent it to my sponsor. And she's like, I hope you don't mind. I showed this to, to her, her spouse. I, I mean, I, I feel very blessed because most of us in the rooms don't actually get to look at our psychic change right. on a, on a physical diagram like yeah. that. Yeah. And I was like, it, it blew my, I mean, you guys, it just blew my mind. But also my neurofeed, I will add this, my neurofeedback clinician has experience, I think with CODA, the 12 step program, mm-hmm. she and I were talking about a month ago. She goes, um, she's a big believer in neurofeedback, obviously, but she goes, there is nothing with the transformative power of the 12 steps. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So it's like you put the 12 steps with, with the neurofeedback. Yeah. It's like, boom, you've yeah. got a winner. A couple of those things. Yeah. Right? A yeah. couple of those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, that's amazing. Yeah. I was going to ask about poetry now. Cause yeah. like that's sort of your, that's your, your thing now, right? You, write poetry and you're pretty into the poetry Mm, world yeah is that was that something that you've always done because i know and you you told me one time we were going to take a a a meeting to a treatment center and Mm -hmm. you said that 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 stint in law school had sort of ruined you on reading yeah um i don't know if that's still the case but um is that is that is that is the poetry um a hobby or is that more of something that's just the thing you do now i don't know does that question make any sense at all like Mm -hmm. is it more than that oh boy that's a great question um so i've written poetry my whole life okay well you know whatever since i was like in elementary school Mm -hmm. i can recall writing poems in elementary school so not my whole whole life but um you know when i was a kid there were two things I really, really loved, and that was reading the Bible. I know it's weird. Yeah, um, but it is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I started having nightmares when I got into Revelations, and so my oh, yeah. mom actually had to make a rule. Yeah. She's like, you can read the Bible, but no Revelations. No revelations. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other thing I really loved was this um, these books of poems by Helen Steiner Rice and my, that my grandpa had at his house. And he would save them for me cause I just devoured these poems. So the poetry thing has always been to go back to the Damon. It's always been like where my soul is 10 feet ahead of me. And, um, so when things were really, really deteriorating in Lincoln, I, uh, I saw this ad for a poetry slam popped up in my Facebook newsfeed hmm. And the thing that leads you, it was like, go to that poetry slam. Mm. And something something just lit up that night. And, and so for me, poetry um, is so much more than a hobby because I, I think it kept me alive. Mm. Wow. I, I, think, I think, and you hear other poets sometimes say this, like, it, it is life-giving. It's life-affirming. It saved my life, being able to express myself. Um, you know, I was dying in Lincoln, but I would drive to Omaha to go to an open mic and I'd get up to the mic and I would shake. I had somebody ask me after an open mic, are are you like diabetic or something? (laughs) (laughs) Do you you need some orange juice? (laughs) Um, cause I was shaking so bad, but I just followed that and I did it and did it and did it. And for me, it's just, um, it's more than a hobby and it's more than a passion. It's like, it's like the blueprint mm-hmm. in my soul mm-hmm. is what it feels like. I don't know how to answer. I, no, no, that's, I don't that's know if that's a, a good answer. I think you answer, did. But, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. I think you nailed it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does, uh, life look like today for you? Mm-hmm. Like, um, participating, you have a sponsee mm-hmm. recovery. Life's good. Family life is good. Yeah. Like what is, what does your life kind of consist of today? I'm always interested in that. Like, that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast mm-hmm. was that sometimes the common narrative is like sobriety and recovery sucks. You know, life oh, is God, hard, yeah. and, and it's like that's yeah. that's not our experience. And, Me neither. And that's the people right. we want on here is right. You know, people that have full lives and stuff. What is what's that look like for you? <laughs> well, I maybe can encapsulate by just a little story. I don't know. Have you guys heard of the um, Heart of Recovery meeting, that Buddhist? It's kind of a mindfulness mindfulness meditation-oriented yeah. meeting at the Shambhala Center. Yeah, we have, like, um, we actually have 
kind of, I don't want to say a knockoff, but like mm-hmm. someone went to that pretty regularly mm-hmm. and now up in, in Cheyenne oh. does like a little miniature right. style one. So Wonderful. Yeah. I, I So I went to that for the first time mm-hmm. a couple of weeks, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago maybe. And um, we were in the sharing portion and some, you know how sometimes you're talking and something just flies out of your mouth and yeah. you're like, where did that come from? Um, I was sharing and I was, I was sharing about that exact thing. The way people treat recovery, like it's drudgery, Yeah, you know, like, well, I've learned you got to accept life on life's terms <laughs> as yeah. if that's a bad thing. Right. You know, it's like, well, and then, you know, people bring up this topic of acceptance and it's always like, it's bad and you've got to accept it. It's like, that's the vibe. Is that mm. what you're saying? Yes, too? Yeah, it's very like, much. Yeah. So I was sharing about this at Heart of Recovery and I was like, you know, the question for me anymore is not how do I deal with life on life's terms? How do I cope with life? I said, the relevant question for me has become how much joy can I contain? Because mm-hmm. it just gets bigger all the time. Yeah. The joy just gets bigger all the time. And it's like, you know, it's like God asking me, how much, how much abundance do you think you can handle? (laughs) How big is your container? Right. Because when you, when that container starts stretching the universe, like it wants to give you everything. Mm -hmm. It wants you to have joy. And, um, so I, it's for me, this kind of drudgery approach is a real eye roll. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sharing my, recovery pet peeve right. which i swore i wouldn't <laughs> <Yeah>. do but, <laughs> <Right>. but <laughs> you know like well, when we started we sort of came up with a mission uh a mission statement just but be- then you know between the two of us when we started this podcast because like this is sort of our creative outlet is mm-hmm. podcasting and we had talked about it and then I, it was weird i came up in another podcast but mm-hmm. um that i was listening to but all of this stuff about creativity and yeah. anyway and we were so when we were you know like game planning this we were like well what is it what, what do we want it to be and it was like well we want to pe- we want to you know have people that are um you know living life to its fullest that are also in a program of recovery mm-hmm. you know where the focus was the amazingness of living, you yeah. know, and not that, oh, now I don't drink or now I do drugs and that's the focal point of my life. You right. know, like that's how I got here for sure. Right. You know, right? right. That's how I found this program. Right. But there's, that's the, that's the, the starting point. Oh you gosh. Know? You know, it's, when I picked up my two year chip at my home group and you share a little bit, you know, I said, um, Boy, I used to think those people who picked up chips and said, you know that old slogan about how if I'd have written my li- a list of the things I wanted, yeah. I would have sold myself short? Yeah. I thought that was such BS. <laughs> I thought the point of recovery was to not drink or do drugs and just, sl- you know, kind of slog through life, right. you know? But I have now discovered that when you get straight on the inside, when you start experiencing peace and joy on the inside, it's like your outsides want to match that. Yes. You you start magnetizing the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, this out this kind of outer stuff does start happening. Yeah. The poetry opportunities, the the sponsee, the oppor- you know, the opportunity I have to facilitate poetry work workshops in the jails and yeah the outer stuff just starts magnetizing. Absolutely. I don't know if that's your guys' yeah. experience. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a part and we don't quote the book much, but it talks about like you can be in harmony despite your outside circumstances. Right. And like, for right. me, that's what it is. Is like, I can be a hundred percent content and happy and fulfilled in everything that I'm doing today. Right. And in the yeah. past it was like, the a hundred percent opposite. I yeah. could be in the best place in the world with everybody that I think I like, and I still am discontent and just yeah. unhappy. And like, that's just flipped. Like I can. Oh, that's such a good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. That's such a good visual. Yeah, I've been. Yeah. I can be doing things I don't really enjoy and still be happy and having fun and loving life and be a part of it. And right. I don't know. It's just. Mm-hmm. I say that a lot. Like I would have sold myself short. Like if this yeah. was, if I would have said like this is what I want when I get sober, I would have. I'm so much beyond that today. Yeah. With <laughs> God, I remember my mom years ago in like 2006, my mom asked me what I wanted out of recovery. And I said, uh, the only thing I really want is I never 
want to get up at four in the morning again with a flashlight and go out to the driveway to check the grill of my car yeah. for blood and hair yeah, on the grill because I drove home in a blackout. Right. That's the only thing I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. That, it's so close to home. I've said that before. That's the scariest thing when you have to yeah. go look at your vehicle in the morning oh. like, oh, my God. Are you yeah. reading the hit and run yeah. reports yeah. on the internet? Like, are, are any of those on the road right. I might have taken home? Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh boy. So, well, we are about 50 minutes in, which mm-hmm. is about where we usually start to wrap up. Aaron, do you have anything else, any other questions or anything before we? I just was on? thinking, like, we've heard some pretty awesome things today. This oh, yeah. has been super enjoyable. I think if there's just one thing that our listeners maybe should take away from this, it's that don't live in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys, Lincoln's a great city. I was so sad things fell apart there because yeah. it's awesome. Lincoln I love it cool. there. It's cool. I've been to Lincoln. But I, your point is well taken. <laughs> yeah. my, my best buddy was from Lincoln. He moved He moved out to Wyoming in the fourth uh-huh. grade, and he hated Wyoming. And Really? Yeah, oh. and... Um, and uh, he he talked. He he's one of these super intelligent people that can just remember things. Like he's like a human calculator too. You <laughs> take him out to the bar and just throw numbers at him and watch him add him fast, Whoa, you know, and yeah. subtract. Like he's he's just smart and he can memorize numbers. But so he had like all of Nebraska football season statistically mesmerized, Whoa. and then he would like to tell me about them. And I'm like, oh man, I don't care, man. Captive audience. As a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. As a result, I knew a lot about Nebraska football more than some. Nebraska yeah. fans. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so, so funny. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. This has been, I don't know. You're you're the ideal guest. I just Absolutely. I appreciate you sitting oh. down because like I always feel weird about asking people. And I'm like, well, you know, it's about recovery, but we're trying to, you know, be aware of the the traditions and you want to do it yeah. and share your story. And it's just this, I don't know, and you just knocked oh. it out of the ballpark. Thanks. Thank you guys. So yeah, I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I think I've had goosebumps like five different times <laughs> during this. Just, I can relate to so much. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being a part of it and, yeah. and sharing some of your experience with us. Yeah, so, thank you. Yeah. Aaron, we have some, uh, we have an email, right? Yeah. It's uh recovered AF podcast at gmail.com. So, I had to think hard how to yeah, dig for were, that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, Facial expression matched my internal condition on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they matched. Yeah, yeah, that's a first. Yeah, uh, EMDR right. helps with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. All right. Well, thank you very much. Wait, oh, we have an Instagram too. What's oh yeah, that? Recovered AF Podcast. Yeah. It's on Instagram. We post pictures of the stuff Aaron and I are doing. I took a picture of this wonderful setting that we had for today's podcast. We'll throw it up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. That works. Right. Yeah. Thanks, cool. Courtney. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome.